You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. This is Rabbi Levi Avzan, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Chul. We are four days before Pesach. Very powerful day as well. Today is the 11th of Nisan and the Lubavitcher Rebbe's birthday, 116th birthday that's being celebrated around the world. Um, email address, you can email us and send good wishes to the radio station on air at chayfm.com. You can SMS at 34519, tweet at chayfm, and WhatsApp at 0618951019. Okay. Very often, we are referred to as people of the book. And you would be forgiven if you came to a Passover Seder, which is the single biggest um, Jewish party of the year, the most well-attended Jewish party, where you would be well understood to be- and forgiven to say, yeah, we are the people of the book. I mean, we'll be sitting over there for the first two hours of the event, or hour and a half, we'll barely be eating anything, and we'll just be reading from a book. And then the last 45 minutes, we'll be reading from a book again, and in between, we'll be chewing crackers and horseradish, <laughs> and hopefully some gefilte fish and, 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 and good, you know, chicken soup. And very often we take pride in that, we're the people of the book. We've taught peop- the world the book knowledge but you see personally I have an issue with with that name people of the book because there's a lot of people that are book smart and life dumb in other words just because you read books doesn't make you smart it's definitely better than not reading books granted First of all, not all books make you intellectual. A lot of books are extremely pathetic. Um, and in general, just reading doesn't make you smart. Okay, I don't know why I'm in a controversial mood today. I mean, everyone just loves that, that name, people of the book. I would argue that people of conversation is a much more aptitude name. In other words, knowledge... Yes, it's found in a book, but the only way it's absorbed in the human mind is through conversation. And more than we are people of the book, we are people of conversation. In other words, we believe very much in having conversations. And in truth, if you walk into a Seder this Friday night or Saturday night, Shabbos night, you'll see more than reading of the book. It's the conversation. You might be forgiven to see, think that it's all about the book, but no, it's all about conversation. And today what I want to explore with you together, and really I would love to hear your thoughts and just discuss, because that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about having a conversation. Having a conversation about the power of conversation. And really, as you know, this year we're really embracing the idea of courage, the courage to have conversations. So DJ is looking a bit glazed over. Let me explain what I mean, okay? Very often, knowledge is taught by dictation. So I, the teacher, stand in front of the class, and I start saying, okay, two plus two, what is it? I don't know, sir. Two two plus two, what is it? 
I don't know, sir. Okay, it's four. Yes, sir, it's four. How do you spell walk? W-A-L-K. Sir, why is there an L in walk? I don't know, sir, but that's the way the English language works. So you're just going to write W-A-L-K, and that's going to get you far in life. Okay? Sir, why is an atom made like that? Don't ask me why. Just do, you know, follow. I'll dictate. Famous story that the child turns to his dad and says, Dad, why is the sky blue? Dad looks at him and says, I don't know. Dad, why the why is the grass green? I don't know. Dad, why are clouds white? I don't know. So he says, Dad, do you want me to ask you questions? So he says, of course, my son. How else will you gain knowledge? <laughs> so ask questions. I don't have any answers. You could read a lot of books and still be an idiot. Excuse the, the bluntness of it. Intelligence is often not found only by reading books. It's about then taking the books and digesting it and processing it and taking it from words on a page to words on the heart. It doesn't automatically transfer from the page to your heart. It's not a quick download. Think about it. You've read, chances are in your life, many books. You've listened to many shows. You've, li- you've listened to many speeches. You've, etc., etc., etc. You've absorbed lots of knowledge. How much of that knowledge really is internalized in you and actually affects your day-to-day life? Relatively little. Why? Is it because the lecturers who spoke to you were bad? No. Think about it. If, if you work, let's say, in corporate, so every other month you're going to another conference. And the conferences, they bring international speakers, best-selling authors of self-help and business, etc. And you sit there and you go on a three-day intense course in the bush, and you walk out a day later and what, what's changed? Often. Very little. And maybe out of 15 hours of courses or 30 hours of courses, maybe an idea or two has permeated. Why? Because we're, we're reading a lot of books, and we're listening to a lot of lectures, but we're not conversing enough. Knowledge is internalized through conversation, through mature debate. I'm not talking about a debate team where each side has to get up and argue their point, and really all they're getting points for is how articulate they are and how sharp their argument is, but ultimately it's not a conversation. I'm talking about conversational debate, mature debate, debate where both people aren't trying to be right, but both people are trying to find the truth. And they might be coming from world, different worldviews because that's the nature of the humanity that we all see the world differently. But we're all engaging for the sake of finding truth. That is where knowledge is found. That's where wisdom is found. In the conversations of life. Yes, the bedrock, the foundation is the book. That's the only way you're going to be able to start a conversation. I mean, otherwise you can sit there saying, age, uh, 
you'll just make up ridiculous knowledge, okay? A lot of the human ideas that have come outside the book have been quite ridiculous. I mean, m- most of the ideas out there, actually, around the world that people fight for are pathetic. Ideas have to be grounded in solid source, in a good place, God's Word, the Bible, wisdom of, of many years before us. But how it's internalized and how it becomes human wisdom, not just book-wise, but life-wise. Do you know the difference between book-wise and life-wise? There's a lot of people that are in university, they're geniuses, absolute geniuses, but they can't figure out how to tie their shoelaces. Okay, there's, the, book-wise means that you're very intellectual, but you actually none of the, uh, most of the knowledge is not grounded into real life. So you could give a great lecture about how to be happily married, but when you come home, you're an absolute idiot in, in human emotion, in human intelligence, in human interaction. There are many educators who can give you great lectures on, educa- on education, but cannot ed- educate in the classroom. As they say, good teachers teach, average teachers teach teachers how to teach, and terrible teachers run worldwide courses on how to teach. In other words, you could be very clever and still be life dumb. There's many people, and I'll, I'll bring it to, to, to more, you know, towards religion. Many people who can talk about ethics and morals and preach about love. They could give you a three-hour lecture based on sources why it's a responsibility to fel- love your fellow, like yourself. It says it in the book of Leviticus, chapter so-and-so, verse so-and-so, and Rashi says this, and the Sapphirno says this, and this commentary says that. Wonderful. Two minutes later, after the lecture, they're getting faribled with somebody. They're getting annoyed with somebody. They're offending somebody. They're judgmental about those same people who are listening to the lecture. As you're giving the lecture about love, you're looking at the person and saying, oh gosh, what, what, why is that person here? They're such an idiot. It's not only about the book. We get so lost in the book that we forget the message. Torah is a, a way of life. It's not a way of knowledge. It's a way of life. The word Torah is translated as Hayrah. It's a way of guidance. It's a guidance in how to live. It's a knowledge of application. So no, we're not only the people of the book. We're people of conversation and application. Because the only way to apply knowledge is through talking about it. And chewing it over and over and over. It's interesting that a kosher animal, one of the things to make a kosher animal is that it has to chew its cud. So, for example, cows chew their cud over and over and over. An animal that doesn't chew their cud, for example, pig, we can't eat. And the rabbis explain one of the reasons is because the idea of chewing over and over and over, basically a cow, when they eat hay, they're eating it over and over. It takes a long time to chew. It doesn't just swallow down. It's the same thing with knowledge. The lesson over there is it's not only about the animal. We have to chew our cud. Okay, so you just took in a piece of knowledge. Now chew it. So, till now we've been talking, and now it's time to chew. And no better way to chew something 
than through music. The most favorite Pesach tune in the Jewish world today, Vehi Shamda by Yonatan Razel and Yaakov Shweki here on 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Avzan, and today we're talking really about people of the book versus people of conversation. So during the break, DJ and I were talking, and DJ was telling me what he he learned very quickly after school, and that is life is not a book. Right? There's a lot of people who are geniuses in school and are getting eight distinctions, and when it, it comes to living life, there's very little application. You, 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 where did the genius go? And very often we talk about in school, we talk about IQ, but rarely do we talk about EQ, and that's emotional intelligence, life intelligence, whatever you want to call it. The idea that knowledge is not a book. It's found in a book, and then it's brought down into conversation. And the Pesach Seder is the ultimate paradigm. Without Pesach Seder is the oldest Jewish holiday, it really is. Okay, Rosh Hashanah commemorates the, the, the creation of the world. It's more a universal holiday. The first Jewish holiday is Passover. Till then, we weren't really a nation. We were a bunch of slaves in Egypt about 3,000 years ago, 3,300 years ago. We were slaves in Egypt. Everyone knows the story of the Bible. And then God sends Moshe, Moses and the burning bush story and the ten plagues, blood and frogs and the Gansa Megillah, the whole story. And eventually he leads us out of slavery two, three million people into the desert. We spent 40 years in the desert. Eventually, we make it into the Holy Land. We build temples. We get kicked out. We come back. We build another temple. We get kicked out. And now we're waiting to go back, please God, with the, with the redemption. That's the 22nd version of Jewish history. Now you know it, okay? You bought the whole thing. 3,000 year, years of history in, in a few seconds. Now, we're commemorating the Exodus, the beginning of us as a nation, from slavery to freedom. And how do we celebrate freedom? By having a night of conversation. The actual Haggadah, the book that we read on, on Friday night, the, the Passover Haggadah, the book that really guides the night, is relatively small. I mean, it looks big, but uh, there's many Jews that have a custom, the Shabbos before Passover, they read the Haggadah. And... When you read it without having any conversation and no uh, songs, etc., it actually takes, what, 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> I have a relative that says that the reason we read the Haggadah a week before Passover is to show us how short it can be so that when it comes to Passover, we should do it as short as well. <laughs> I don't really think that's the reason. Um, but the actual book is short. But most seders around the world won't be taking 15 minutes for that middle section. Some people are because they're in an absolute rush. And like people have a competition. How quickly did you finish the Passover Seder? Oh, wow, you were home by 9.30. How did you do that? Some people on the other hand have a, com- a competition how long their Seder could last. So I remember when we were growing up, what time did you say to finish? Two. Two! I say to finish at 3.30. 3.30! Oh my God, what did you do till 3.30? Don't ask. My say to finish at 6 in the morning, etc. So anyway, some people are having competition how early they can finish. Some people have a competition how late they can finish. And some people are not having a competition. They're actually just enjoying themselves. And some people are falling asleep two minutes in. Um, and they have no idea what time it started or what time it finished. 
Now, one of the things we do is we drink four cups of wine, so it's a, a great way to fall asleep. And the night is not so much about reading, but about conversation. Now, it's very interesting. I saw this talk by Rabbi Jacobson. He points out that on Passover night, there's only two biblical commandments. The Bible commands us to do two things this Friday night and Saturday night. Although we'll be doing a lot of things, we'll be drinking four cups of wine and eating bitter herbs. And by the way, you should have a Passover Seder once. It's totally awesome. If you've never been to one, it's totally awesome and totally strange. But there's only two biblical commandments. Number one, eat matzah. Matzah are those crackers. Um, Best case scenario, eating handmade matzah costs you a few dollars a piece. Yeah, a few dollars for a cracker of of flour and water. No comment. I'm not going to even try to explain you why it's so expensive. Other people will eat raccoons and they'll complain that it's expensive. Well, you know, I'll say go go check out handmade shmur matzah and then complain about what expensive is. And um, that's mitzvah number one. Eat matzah on that night. So basically take a cracker that's made out of flour and water with nothing else and chew it. Because that's the bread of affliction and the bread of freedom. When the Jewish people left Egypt, they had matzah. That was the commandment they had. And also they were walking out of Egypt and they had dough on them, but it didn't have enough time to rise. And therefore they had to eat unleavened bread and they ate matzah. That's mitzvah number one. Everyone knows that. But there's another mitzvah of the night that many people don't focus on. To talk to your child. There is a commandment by God that on Friday night and Saturday night, you talk to your child. You pass over the knowledge from generation to generation. You transfer knowledge through conversation. Magid. The whole section where we talk, where we read the story of the Exodus is called Magid, which means conversation. Talk. You have a mitzvah, you have a commandment to talk to your child. Yes, I know, so some people are going to be spending the whole Seder with a scale and making sure they weigh, how much matzah do I have? And I'll make sure I eat exactly enough. You know what? Put the scale away and just eat a little extra. Nothing's going to happen. Just use your common sense. Whatever, never mind, have a scale. Um... Or they're going to sit there and measure exactly how much wine you have. Like, just take a big cup and you don't have to only drink 86 mils. You could drink 150 mils. Nothing's going to happen. But they're going to get so carried away with the technicalities of the evening, God bless them, that they'll forget that tonight's not about technicalities. It's about conversation. Just talk. So often we get so lost away in the ritual that we forget that The ritual is just there to enable something. The ritual is not an end on itself. It's a means to an end. It's a night of conversation for crying out loud. But you're so carried away just making sure that you dot all the I's and cross all the T's that your 4-year-old or your 10-year-old or your 18-year-old or your 35-year-old child is sitting over there bored out of their mind because they're not being engaged with. It's a night of engagement. It's not a night of books. It's a night of conversation. Magid, talk, engage. It's so much easier to hide behind the self-righteousness of just looking behind the book and making sure you're doing everything right than having a conversation. It's much easier to be right than to converse, to talk. It's much easier to just open the book and say, okay, what's the next thing I have to do? Okay, let me make sure I do it right. 
But it's much harder to sit there saying, okay, there's somebody around the table that's totally disengaged of what I'm doing. They're not engaging in what I'm in. They're not interested. So how do I engage them? And that's why the, the Jewish law teaches us to do a lot of interesting things that, that night to pique the interest of the children. That children should be interested and their interest should be piqued and they'll be like, oh, why are you doing that? Now, why are we doing that? We're doing that because we want the kids to ask questions. Why do we want the kids to ask questions? Not because we were rushing to give them answers, but because we want to have a conversation with them. And the best conversation is when somebody has a question. Because then they want to know the answer. You're not imposing the answer on them. You're listening to the question. And you're engaging them based on who they are and what interests them. Some people, the way they prepare for a Seder, God bless them, is they prepare 5,000 varts. So pretty much by now, there's thousands of Haggadot that have been published throughout Jewish history. They come to the Seder and they have 5,000 varts. They have a vart about every single paragraph. A vart is a thought. So, they, you know, the, the paragraph says something about the five sages sitting in Bnei Brak, and they have a gazillion varts on the five sages that sat in Bnei Brak. Why five? Why not four? Why these sages? Etc., etc., etc. And they come... And they start rattling off everything they know. The problem is that no one around the table is interested in hearing them. First of all, because they heard the same thing last year. Second of all, because they're going to hear the same thing tomorrow night. And third of all, because they're just not interested. Makes no difference. Maybe they're wrong for not being interested, but they're not interested. So now you have two options. Option number one is you sit over there and say, Hey, I prepared the vart. I'm going to torture everyone to death because I prepared this thought. Too bad, get over it. I want to share something. It's like the rabbi who gets up and starts talking and the whole crowd is falling asleep. But they say, hey, I prepared this 25-minute lecture about the, the spiritual meaning of windows. Now, I'm sure it could be interesting, but currently the crowd's not interested. So you have two options when you're standing there on the pulpit. Number one, you finish your speech and by the time you're done, the snoring is louder than your voice. Number two, you say, switch gears. I'm not here to give the speech I want to give. I'm here to give a speech that resonates, that people are interested with. So if my speech is not resonating, either I get down and sit back on my chair or I improvise very quickly and I say, oh, let me share a thought. Maybe that will resonate. But often we're sitting at this night and we're so busy making sure that when we come to heaven, God could say, how many thoughts did you prepare for the Seder night? I prepared 625. Oh, wow. How many of them did you share? All of them, God. And God's going to say, well done. But then God maybe will ask a question, how many of the people actually stayed awake and were engaged? And did you bring your kids that night closer to their religion or push them further? With all your idiosyncrasies and all your thoughts that you prepared, did you engage? That's the mission of the night. If your kids love hearing thoughts and the way to engage them is by sharing 50 thoughts, God bless you. Prepare whatever you want. But if that's not interesting, your wife and children or your husband or whatever, your cousin or your grandmother... Then find something that does. The mitzvah of the night is not to say things. It's to engage. It's not to read the book. It's to have a conversation. And if the person in front of you is falling asleep, then you're not having a conversation. You're talking to the wall. 
And that's not the mitzvah of the night. There's no mitzvah on Friday night to talk to walls. There's a mitzvah to talk, to engage. And throughout the night, look around the table. Are people interested? Are people getting inspired? Is the music beautiful? Is the ritual beautiful or is it just so technical that it's dry and it's actually drying up every ounce of liquid in the room because it's so stiff? We're here to have conversations with one another. And so often we forget that. And it just becomes a night of me checking all the boxes to make sure I am as I'm covered in, sorry, in American language, we say covered all the bases. I've done everything right. I've done everything right. The fact that I finished the Seder at three in the morning and every single person's already long asleep. You heard the story about the rabbi who's talking. And um, he's talking and suddenly but surely people start leaving because, you know, they have a life. But he's talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And there's a face with a long white beard, actually a small white beard in the back of the room. Just nodding. And finally, four hours later, the rabbi gets down and he wants to thank that person. And he walks to the back and he sees it's a goat. <laughs> you could talk and talk and talk and talk. And by, the, by the end of your conversation, the only person listening to you is a goat. Or your dogs barking outside. They're the ones interested. But ultimately, did you engage? When you say those words, if you don't say the words, some people have the custom of saying at the end of the Passover Seder, Chasal Seder Pesach, the Pesach Seder is over. Some people have the custom, some people don't. But when you're finishing off the Seder and you're saying, Lashana Habab Yerushalayim, next year in Jerusalem, and you look around the eyes of the people around you, are they alive or are they dead? Did you just put another dagger in the way they see their religion? Did you just push them further or you brought them closer? That's the mission of the night. That's the mandate of the night. And that, around that, every single thing has to surround. Every decision we make for our Seder, which is the biggest Jewish event of the year, has to surround one thing. How will this engage the people more? Because my mandate by God tonight is to to pass over to the next generation, to pass over to my friends, to share something. But if everyone around me is falling asleep and snoring, then honestly, you didn't have a Seder. You just had a, um, what's that called when you're just locked in a room um, and you're just talking to yourself? You had a four-hour look at the mirror where pretty much all you did was talk to yourself. And meanwhile, everyone around you has fallen down. Thank you so much. You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM here on Soul to Soul. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM. This is Rabbi Levi Avzan, and we today are talking about engaging. Um, and yeah, we hope that uh, you can engage with us. Um, I just got an anonymous text saying, Rabbi, why are you screaming? <laughs> well, gosh, um, I don't know why I was screaming. I, I sometimes get excited, but uh, you could turn the radio lower if, uh, if the screaming is too loud. Um, so 
where are we holding? We're holding like this. We're holding that the mission of the Passover Seder really is to have conversations. But what I want to talk about the next few minutes is how often we're so afraid of having conversations that we avoid conversations. So, DJ, think about it. You're a parent, right? You have children. It's much easier for you to tell them what to do rather than talk to them about what to do. I'm older. I'm bigger. I'm stronger than you, so you better not start up because I will get my way. Now, once in a while, you have to. I mean, if, you know, things are falling apart and you just have to put your foot down, of course. Not every time do you have to have a conversation. I have a relative that every single time the kids have a meltdown, it turns into a whole conversation. Oh, honey, what's going on? Why are you so sad? But, the, sorry, the one-and-a-half-year-old kid has no idea why they're sad, and right now they're making an absolute tantrum in the store. So before you sit there having a conversation, please get them out of the store or calm your kid down, and then you could start having deep meditative conversations with your 18th-month-old on the way home. <laughs> So not always is there a time for conversation. However, often we're not having conversations when we should have conversations because it's easier not to. It's easier to just spend the whole night of the Seder preaching. Just preaching. And hijacking 90% of the conversation. In my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong, a successful Seder is when the leader of the Seder did less than 50% of the talking and that the other 50% of the talking wasn't just from the other people, wasn't just random, oh, how was your flight? Or, um, sheesh, that could filter fish is great, but actual interesting conversation. That means if a person, if the leader of the Seder, whoever so chooses to be the leader, can facilitate an environment in which the people around the table have at least, if not more, 50% of the conversation, and the conversation is content-based and interesting and engaging, that's a successful night. But often we're so afraid, so afraid of, oh gosh, what, what if the question is, is heretical? What if the question makes me uncomfortable? What if I don't know the answer? What if, um, it, uh, what if it goes on to... It pushes the envelope a bit. So let me just stay in the black and white because gray is, oof, that's a terrible color. Oof, gray, oh, bad, bad color. So I'll stay in the black and white. And I'll just preach for the whole night and everyone could fall asleep. But hey, we didn't, we didn't talk and we didn't say anything risky. So that was a great, fantastic Seder. Really? What did he just accomplish? If you're, never, if you're never comfortable to walk into the gray and you're never willing to hear your 15-year-old daughter's tough questions, then do you really think you're going to raise them well? Do you really think that your daughter's or son's questions is going to disappear tomorrow night and they're just going to fall in love right back with the religion and they're just going to do it because they have to and the questions are never going to niggle at them? Really? When, did, when, when has that ever happened to the human being? Unless they live in dictatorships. And I really hope you're not raising your kids like a dictator. When your kid's asking a conversation, that's an opening. When they're asking a question, that's an opening. Grab it. You're sitting in the car and your kid, is, you know, you're, you're doing a lift and your kid asks a question. Option number one is you, can, you go back on your phone or you listen to the radio. Option number two is you're like, hey, my kid is opening a door. 
Maybe the, con- the question is controversial, like, hey, Dad, why do you scream at me so much? And that makes you uncomfortable. But I guarantee you this. If you engage that conversation and you respond and you ask back, etc., you will get closer to your child. But if you shut them down, you're not exactly going to shut down their curiosity and you're just going to put them away and they'll be looking for answers elsewhere. And unfortunately, the other answers they get will not nearly be as effective and healthy as the answers you could offer them. Oh, wow, it looks like there's somebody over here trying to comfort me after the, the first text. So he says, <laughs> wow, Rabbi, preach it. Agree 100%. Love your delivery today. It's made huge inroads. Toda Rabbah Magdalena, Johannesburg. Okay, so some people like my screaming. Some people don't like my screaming. And we're having a good conversation. Is screaming on the radio good enough or not? Um, well, don't know. DJ says next time I scream, he's going to have to put me on lower or whatever. I'm, yeah. So let's have a conversation, DJ. Screaming on the radio, good or not? Well, I say not. I don't know. Whatever. It's great. It's wonderful. Let's, that, that's the point of the conversation. There's no right. There's no wrong. Some people say it. And as long as we're talking respectfully, have your opinion. Be my guest. But how do you allow the people around you to ask questions? Will they feel comfortable in the environment not to be judged? And ask the questions that are bothering him. I mean, for many Jews sitting around this table, this will be the only Jewish party they will be sitting at for the next 12 months. So option A is preach at them. Option B is engage them. What do you think makes more sense? Here on 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Rabbi Levi Afton, and we are wrapping up the show. Um, and I want to finish the wrap-up. I won't be here on next week. It's the middle of the Passover holiday. be spending time with family. Please, God, we'll be back in two weeks' time. And I want to finish off the show by just wishing all of us a Chag Pesach Kasher V'Sameach. Have a wonderful Pesach. Eat the matzah, talk to your family, engage, have quality family time. Don't have too many variables. Don't throw wine bottles at each other. Um, have fun. Engage your kids. See the light go on in the people around you as a new idea develops in their mind. Have an interesting, engaging, just a wonderful time together. Be alive. The, the word Pesach, which is Passover, the word Pesach actually means pe. Sach, the rabbis explain, a mouth that talks. In Hebrew, it means a mouth that talks. Talk a lot, but more than talk, listen a lot. Listen. Listen to your 4-year-old, your 14-year-old, your 24-year-old, your 34-year-old, or your wife for 45 years. Talk. Engage. Listen. This is the holiday of conversation. Don't waste it on preaching. Spend it on listening. Your kid doesn't want to hear your wisdom as much as they want you to hear theirs. And through them sharing their wisdom and you just listening, you're teaching them the greatest wisdom of all. So have happy conversations, happy listening. Chag Pesach Kasher Sameach. Want to wish the radio station, everyone over here, Kathy and the whole team, a wonderful Passover. And may we pass over all our own difficulties, all our Egypt's, all our struggles, everything within us that is difficult to overcome. 
may we just break free and may darkness finally disappear and may we all find freedom, light, love and beauty in our lives speedily in our days and may this Passover be celebrated with a true redemption in Jerusalem over there once again we will be in God's temple, will sacrifice the sacrifices, be close to God in a revealed and beautiful and close sense and just wishing you all the best. Have a great Pesach, have a great week and just peace and love to us all.